재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Welcome back to Koreascape on TBS EFM 101.3 megahertz in Seoul and surrounding areas. Hope you had a good weekend. Our little in-studio trio here all went in different, interesting directions this weekend. We're going to talk a bit about that. But more importantly, we're going to look forward, not backwards, uh, to some interesting and exciting places that you can go this autumn, from glamping to hiking and more. We're joined on this uh, sort of look at sights and sights by Rachel Kong, who's a foodie and former restaurateur, and also a news editor here in town, and a well-traveled guy, Jim Bully from the UK. Guys, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you once again. Did you have interesting weekends? Yeah, I um, I went down to Gyeongju, uh, just sort of to have a look at how the city was doing following the earthquakes, whether there was any visible damage and what the atmosphere was like down there. That is a very conscious kind of trip to take seriously i know you work in news and maybe you can turn that into some kind of story but uh, this was mainly personal curiosity about uh, how gyeongju was hit absolutely yeah i, I mean it, it almost feels like quite a morbid curiosity to go to mm. to someone that's been hit by an earthquake but the, what i really wanted to see was how not so much the you know roof tiles on the floor and cracked walls of which which there are very few uh, really but how the actual city was coping yeah it was hit with what? About a five earthquake, five five plus. I think so. It was hit, it was hit with two consecutively, both around or just over the five mark, and then there's been four hundred plus aftershocks since. Is there visible? I don't want to even say devastation. Is there visible damage? There is. There's there's a lot of roof tiles sort of on the on the side of the street, um, and and sort of damage to the roofs of buildings mostly. And I know that internally in a lot of schools and things like that, there's cracks on the wall, but there's not enough damage that if you hadn't been there before, you uh-huh. would necessarily not just think it was age. Yeah, I see. You wouldn't walk in and go, oh my God, what happened here? Was there an earthquake or was there a bomb or something like that? It's just a little bit shook up. Exactly, yeah. But it has had a, a kind of an effect on the region. I mean, not just, it hasn't knocked down the buildings, but it's uh, scared people down there, hasn't it? Yeah, so this was the definitely the biggest effect is that Gyeongju is a tourist city. That is its entire economy, and there was barely anyone there. There were so few people there that every site you went to, you recognized the same people from the previous site. <laughs> yeah. uh, we went to the, you know, the place that's supposed to be the, the best restaurant in town, and we were the only people in there. It was, it was really, really quite shocking how empty the city was. There are that few people. I mean, that strikes me as a, a, a bit of overkill in terms of reactions. I could see, you know, if it had been some, something else, you know, something that was a, a genuine ongoing danger. But Rachel, I mean, you, would you be afraid to go down to uh, Gyeongju? Yeah, because, you know, in Korean culture, um, like people were thinking earthquake is not our thing because yeah. it was always there in Japan or like a western side of US but you know we felt like we were like an earthquake free yeah. for a very long time but it's happening now so the people are more um, feared 
an issue be I think I think because uh-huh. they have no idea what to do and then you know how it will go as a, all this aftermath kind of thing, thing so I think the fear is higher yeah it's a little bit uh, sort of played up uh, people are a little bit spooked but uh, you didn't feel any aftershocks Jim did you I didn't and I would say like obviously the most important thing with traveling is always do what you feel safe doing sure but if you're not worried about the others or you don't feel unsafe going to Gyeongju, then it's definitely a great thing to do to go down because that's what they need right now is people coming yeah. back to the city and you can have sometimes there's that much more you know uh, gratitude attention towards you i remember what the only real kind of disaster i've ever seen in korea was the taeon oil spill uh, a number of years ago and i went there and saw all the koreans like from schools and groups and everything coming to scrub the rocks and once they kind of got out of the woods with that they were so thrilled to have tourists back again tasting the seafood and so on how was your weekend rachel i went to the vegan festival we talked about last mm. week um, it was amazing, and then there were a lot of Koreans and also non-Koreans, and I believe many of them, the Korea Escape audiences. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, well, I w- did you have any good vegan food? What was the best vegan thing you tasted? I mean, like, there were so interesting things, like uh, fried chicken and hot dogs and, um, like, uh, sausages and uh, things like that, fried oh, eggs. Faux chicken, faux sausages. Exactly, exactly. So made of, like, um, the bean sure. meat. Uh, but I think that's a interesting um, attempt to introduce a vegan life with something like a familiar food yeah. in your life. And then you feel like you, you don't have to feel like you're, um, like, you know, left out. Uh, for interesting uh, tastes but what I liked more is like uh, the pure vegetables and then the way of eating it more in a delicious way because that's more like accessible because it's not easy to find the fried chicken vegan way so so what I liked is like a falafel just the hummus uh, things like that that's not like a difficult food but it's like a really good taste. That's the way I would if I I went vegetarian or vegan I would want to go in that way not I don't want to approximate meat. If I'm giving it up, I don't want to eat like some, you know, uh, simulacrum of meat made out of soy protein. I think I went down to Jarasom and I'm actually going to go back this afternoon. Uh, it's a three day jazz festival going down, uh, going on down there. Yesterday was a, a weird day because it poured torrentially. We're all out in the open with nothing but these little plastic raincoats on. The band is up there on the stage performing. At one point, the speakers cut out, and uh, all we could hear was like the bongo in the distance and and people yelling, uh, and people were having the best time. By the time it was done, there were like little swimming pools and puddles and in in the mud, uh, and I don't think anybody was complaining. So it was was a, a fun little thing. One of the sponsors down there is um, this glamping establishment. And so we got into this whole kind of discussion about you know, glamping. At what point, glamorous camping. It's basically they have these sort of igloos down there with beautiful beds and things inside. But it's kind of like camping in a tent. Do you have opinions on glamping, Jim? I am not sure how I feel about glamping. I think I need to try it before I pass an opinion. I Do you- uh, yeah, Rachel, uh, have you ever been glamping? I've never been to glamping, but when I went to campsite, there were like a glamping area, so I could see how it looked like and how 
I may feel like if I um, stay there. But I don't know, like, it's my personal opinion, but I'm not a huge fan of the idea of glamping because mm-hmm. I feel like camping is more like a being outdoor, meaning like with minimal uh, equipment with yeah. you. And yeah. then being in the nature, not really helped by um, some uh, civilized technology. Yeah. But glamping is like so glamorous and then uh, you have everything there. So you may end up with staying in the tent rather than going out. Well, it it almost becomes mildly absurd at a certain level. I mean, there are glamping-themed restaurants, too, where you go inside a building and you sit down and and cook as if you were at a campfire sitting on the floor in, like, little mini tents. That's kind of pushing it, in my opinion. And then if you're you're out and you're going to build this structure and have a fine bed and all this stuff why not just go to a building and do that you know go to a, a hotel or a pension where's where's the camping part of it preserved when you've got that level of luxury yeah it does it does beg the question what the point is the only time i think i've seen glamping and kind of understood its target audience is when at music festivals you see glamping especially music festivals that are in quite a rural area yep. then perhaps there are people going there who don't want to camp yeah and then in, in that instance i i think i see the attraction of glamping but otherwise i i think i would prefer to camp. However, I suspect that my wife would quite like glamping, so I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> yeah. in my immediate future. A little bit of luxury. The other scenario would be in the very hot summer, where 99% of your day is outdoors anyway, and then you just go into this sort of glampy, nice igloo kind of thing, just to sleep. And then yeah. the rest of the day, you're kind of outside doing water sports and stuff like that. On the simpler side, camping, you into that, Jim? Yeah, I like camping. Yeah. At this Jaurasam festival, the perimeter is reserved for tents, and people were putting up tents who I profoundly envied yesterday when I was being pounded by the rain. (laughs) Um, And it was really nice. Some of them would set up chairs in there and a candle and a bottle of wine, flip up the window of the tent, and have a perfect view of the stage from from the perimeter. Maybe that's what you need to do next. I think that's what I need to do. I need to learn to pitch a tent first. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've got just a couple of minutes before we take our first break. What else do we want to talk about here in the autumn? We're talking about glamping, camping. Uh, If you don't want to bring camping gear and tents with you and you do want to enjoy the outdoors, I suppose the natural alternative is hiking or trekking. And this is the country for it, isn't it? This is absolutely the country for it. So there are 20 major national parks in Korea, all of which offer hiking and all of which offer, you know, options. So if you want to go serious, you can have a crack at the Bekdu Dagan Trail, which is the length of Korea. Obviously, you can't have a crack at the whole thing uh, because half of it is in North Korea. There's a guy that wrote a book, though, that he got got permission from North Korea to go through some of the mountains up there. And he has done Bekdu all the way to Dagan. And, you know, so uh, if you're willing to jump through a thousand hoops, maybe you can. But we can catch up with it up near the DMZ and do the rest of it. Exactly. I actually had two guys staying at my place last night who had just finished and flew out this morning. What kind of time frame did they do that on? About a month, six weeks. All right. Um, They had had issues with parks being being closed along the way and kind of having to find their route in places. But that's obviously the more serious side that probably most of us aren't going for. Um, on On the tamer side, within the national... So there are three sort of really big national parks probably the most famous ones you've got Suraksan in uh, in the northeast you've got Jirisan in the south and then of course you've got Halasan in Jeju yeah Halasan's the one only one that I haven't uh, gone up the other two I've gone up Halasan's I think the tallest of the three right yeah, um, yeah tallest in the south South Korea okay yeah it's Gorgeous. a volcano right and so up at the top the- you've got uh, almost a Bektusan kind of uh, effect up there where you've got a volcanic crater filled with water don't you Right. Um, so 
And h a l a s a n is beautiful on the way, but uh, you have to be a little bit lucky to find the right weather because Jeju Island is famous for like really changing weather. Sure. So be, it would be great if you check beforehand. Good idea. Um, and some of these mountains, just to kind of put a cap on this subject, if you don't want to go straight vertical and straight down, a lot of them have these tulegil down at Haladev Olegil. It's basically sort of a, a belt around the mountain that you can hike on a, on a sort of horizontal plane if you're not a huge hiker. Gorgeous tulegil uh, at Pukansan, too. We're talking about fun things to do in the autumn with Jim Bully and Rachel Kang. We're going to do more of it in just a moment. Be right back. Well, it's gray and gloomy and rainy in much of Korea today, but soon we're going to have some bright blue skies again and some good weather. And it'll be a good time to go somewhere this season where there's some beautiful nature, some fun festivals, some vibrant attractions. And that's what we talk about on Mondays with Jim Bully and Rachel Kong. Jim's a news editor in town and Rachel Kong is a traveler and restaurateur, at least in her former avatar. Guys, uh, you both are uh, filling us in on some stuff that's going to happen uh, in the near future. Why don't we start with you, Jim? What's going on lately this fall here in Korea? So in Seoul, uh, one of the highlights for me, we've got the Seoul Eulalia Festival. I mispronounced it earlier. It's not Eulalia, it's Eulalia. I mean, I may be mispronounced. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, what I researched suggested it was Eulalia. Okay. Um, but grass officiados may also know it as Chinese <laughs> silver grass. You may be talking to the wrong crowd using a term like that, but uh, I hear you. So, Seoul Eulalia Festival, um, Eulalia is a kind of a tall grass, um, and it, it takes place on a hill uh, right here by the World Cup Stadium. And um, so, the hill actually is, is one of the most interesting parts. It used to be a landmine. Uh, and a few years ago, the Seoul government repurposed it into this huge hill. And on the top, they've, uh, they've planted this Eulalia grass. It's sort of to create streets and alleys. And then they light it up in the night throughout the next couple of weeks. It's lit up at night um, with, with all these brightly colored lights throughout the whole thing. And, and that's the best time to go at night. And you walk through the grass and it's creating almost like a kind of maze. Uh, there's viewing platforms, but it's lit up by all these, all these brightly lit lights all throughout the grass. And it creates really quite an ethereal... Um, event is very unique, and it was one of those things where when I first went there, I was I was felt like I was being dragged there. Oh, we're going to go to this grass thing. Okay, it doesn't sound that exciting. It's actually very interesting, really, and a really interesting experience. Do either of you know the the Korean word for Eulalia, uh, Rachel? I believe it's kalte. Kalte. Yes. Okay. And what does it look like? I'm trying to get a picture. You've you've given me an idea of the the festiveness of it, but is it like um, tall, just simply tall grass, or does it look like wheat, or what what what, what does the plant look like? It is tall, it's tall grass, like man-height grass. Wow. Um, and at the top, I can't, I can't think of the name, it, has, it, it, it does have a sort of a flower at the top, almost kind of like a wheat-looking thing, but much softer. Ah, interesting, okay. So, uh, and, and that's ongoing, sort of on a rolling basis now, or is that uh, kind of a weekend thing or what? So it starts this weekend, and it'll be over the next few weeks, um, obviously only when the weather's dry enough. Cool. And to find out more, you would go where? So they don't have their own website, but if you go to visitkorea.co.kr and then have a look at the calendar function there, you can find all the information in English about it. Cool. Well, on weekends on this program, we do a very long conversation about traditional medicine and Korean traditional health wisdom. 
people who are interested in that kind of stuff have an opportunity to interact with experts on that in an upcoming festival here in Seoul, right? Yes, yeah, so the Seoul Yangyongji Herb Festival takes place this coming weekend. It's on Friday and Saturday. It's at the Yangyongji Herb Market, which is in Seoul by Jegidong Station on Line 1. And uh, it's, I mean, it's quite an interesting idea. So it's, it, that's a herb market anyway, but this is the celebration of it. It's time to fall after the harvest. Um, it is a, uh, a unique opportunity to learn about some more traditional herbs, their history, their effectiveness. But there's, there's free herbal medicine diagnosis and treatments. And there's some competitions. Some, there's a herb slicing competition, which I imagine you want to try your hand at. I've never, uh, I mean, I slice basil and uh, oregano and things like that, but uh, I've, never, I've never sliced uh, too many Korean medicine herbs. Well, maybe they'll teach you before yeah. you enter. Yeah. And, uh, and there's cooking contests, singing contests. Uh, so there's a lot going on there. It's, and it's on, it's on Friday and Saturday, and it's all about the medicinal herbs. And even without the festival, the festival's almost an added layer, but just to walk around that uh, Yang, Yangtze market, it's almost like a festival in and of itself. Uh, we went there and took a walk with our traditional Korean doctor from this program, and it's just street after street of traditional ingredients. So uh, what to probably me and you looks like uh, twigs and nuts and uh, branches. Uh, the the people who really specialize in Korean medicine know exactly what to do with these things. Sook, you know, uh, all kinds of ginger, things that you can brew down and improve your health. Are you big into uh, Korean herbal remedies, Rachel? Well, actually, I'll be really feel foreign as much as you guys will do <laughs> if I go that, to the that market. But I am kind of familiar with the concept because, you know, my grandfather... He used to uh, be a huge fan of like all this uh, traditional herbal medicine, and then when I went to went into his house, all the smell yes. from all these different um, herbs, yeah. it really it was really amazing. So when I remember him, uh, the smell of the, all this medicine comes with that yeah. memory. So it's something. Um, inside of heart like for every korean people i believe but i don't know the names yeah no no i mean it's a an incredibly wide range of stuff and you pointing out the smell is very important it's it's a very olfactory uh fragrant kind of experience to walk around some of the dominant things are of course ginseng because everybody's selling different kinds of ginseng different kinds of gingers and so on but uh, an incredibly fragrant kind of market to walk around. I personally would like to get more uh, Korean traditional herbs and medicine into my routine. I, when I was down in Jarosam this weekend, I bought uh, some dried omija mm -hmm. to cold brew omija because I guess that has health benefits and so on. But uh, I would like to have more of a handle on, on a day-to-day -day basis how to brew different things and all of that. Are you much of like a tea drinker? I mean, a, a, an Asian tea drinker. Uh, you're from the UK, of course, you, you, you drink tea. But uh, Asian teas, brews, have you gotten it all into the sort of Korean traditional health habits here? I have to some extent. I'm quite open to it. And obviously there's things like ginseng and ginger that have kind of stripped into the mainstream. Sure. Um, but there's, I mean, I, I'll eat and drink whatever my Korean in-laws put in front of me. I'm, I'm quite open to that, <sighs> that kind of thing. There's no smoke without fire, I think. So there is benefits to all these herbal medicines. But I certainly couldn't go to the market and point anything out and have a clue what it was. Would you go for cupping therapy? That thing where they put those suction cups on your back like Michael Phelps had and... I've seen what people look like after that's done. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think you would be able to get me quite that far. 
All right, so those are two things going on here in Seoul. The Seoul Yangnyeongsi Herbal Medicine Culture Festival that starts uh, when this, also this coming weekend, right? Yep, so this one's Friday and Saturday. And for more information, you want to go to soulya.com, soulya.com. Soulya.com. And then don't forget the Seoul Eulalia or Tall Grass Festival that's uh, getting underway this weekend right near where we are here in the World Cup Stadium area. Rachel, you're... Uh, informed about some stuff going on outside of Seoul if people want to get more adventurous. So what kind of stuff is going outside of the city? Yeah, I want to introduce a Suwon Hwasong Culture Festival. So Hwasong is one of the largest and uh, well-preserved castle uh, in South Korea. I used to live in Suwon, so I am kind of familiar with that neighbor and the culture. You said Hwasong. I, yes. uh, I thought for a moment you said Croissant, and I was like, oh my God, that sounds wonderful. Croissant Festival. <laughs> is there coffee? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, Hwasong. so Hwasong, culture, Hwasong being a, a, a site, right? A place. Yeah, a castle. Okay. And um, Hwasong is one of the UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is um, appointed at 1997 uh, because of the essence of the architectural technology and the art of of that time. It represents that very well. So it was appointed as uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site. Mm -hmm. And um, so just looking around the castle and then all the walls, that will be really, really nice. Um, But also there will be a lot of um, interesting activities. For example, uh, there will be bell ringing, bell striking on the eve of the festival. And uh, you can also have a lot of experiences like uh, archery at the Royal uh, Archery Court in Yeonmude. So things like that. So the activities and then all the uh, performances uh, that will be uh, provided by the festival. It's a real... Suwon's not far. I mean, it's on the subway line, isn't it? Right. Um, you can, if you want, or you can take... I think there's a Mugongwa train down there. Yeah, Pretty or just quick. the it's metro. About, it's less yeah. than an hour down there, isn't it? Yeah, or an hour-ish. An hour. And uh, if you really, if you haven't been there yet, you definitely should. You should get this sort of uh, ancient feeling immediately. The fortress, uh, the fortress walls, the the castle, a lot of those guys, kind of like they are down at uh, Gyeongbokgung. They're in traditional garb, guarding, quote-unquote, guarding some of the sites. Uh, It's very good for photo opportunities, that sort of thing. And uh, isn't that, do I have my castles and my fortresses uh, confused or isn't that where uh, Sado's story is exactly uh, the movie that. Sado right was, yeah right did you watch the movie I didn't see the movie but uh, I've I've heard it described several times right. on this program right. and when I went to visit Suwon it sounds horrific this is where the king basically buried the crown or put the crown prince in a rice box mm-hmm. until he died right so uh, let me give you a like, brief history okay. around it so there was a king Yongjo uh, and then he had a son uh, called Sado Seja. Yes. And then they were not really good in a good father-son relationship. So, uh, <laughs> That's the in understatement the end, of the year, right? It's hey, a dysfunctional family. You know? Yeah, it was really bad. So uh, it ended up the Yongjo, the king, putting his son Sado Seja into the, this um, rice um how do I say? Uh, it, was, case? It, it, it looks like a trunk. You know, they have right, right. not the actual Big one, but box. one that it might have been uh, a very authentic looking one. Right. And um, if you're relatively petite, you could actually fit into mm-hmm. it. Uh, some of our, mm-hmm. our tourist group actually got mm-hmm. into the box mm-hmm. just to see what it was like. And it's very unpleasant. Picture, you know, stepping into your hope chest and having somebody close the lid. Mm-hmm. That's basically what it's like. So 
Youngju wanted him to the the son to beg him like I, I it's my fault and then I I need your forgiveness but he didn't really do that he was stubborn so ended up like starving and then dying uh, in that wooden case that was a story but after that the son of Sado Seja became the next king it's which is King Jongjo yeah. and then he really wanted to memorize or like, remember his father. Who had a really tragic uh, death, so he uh, wanted uh, to build the castle and uh, move the capital from Seoul to Suwon. I see because the the tomb of uh, Sado Seja was located in near Suwon, and also there, at that time the political uh, dynamic was really uh, not good between the king and the noble families. Uh-huh. He wanted to. Regain the power as a king, so he wanted to build a castle and then move the capital. So he succeeded to build a cap, uh, the castle, but he failed to move the capital. So capital is still in Seoul, but they ended up building this beautiful castle. Did he avenge his father? Did he? Did something bad happen to the king? Uh, the, the, the Sado Seja's son, mm-hmm. who wanted to do all of this, right? Yes, he wanted to honor his father, right? But I imagine he must have been uh, rather peeved at his grandfather, right? Yeah. For having put... <laughs> and that's what this... Did you see the movie? No. I, I would like to see that movie at some point. I want to. As it's well. called Sado? Sado, yes. Sado, yeah. Okay, so there's a lot to see down there and a lot of that story to unpack. This is one of the best periods to go down there in the autumn, isn't it? Because of the sure. weather and different sure. stuff going on. Sure. The the festival itself is from 7th to 9th October, so the next weekend will be uh, the timing. In October is the, is the yes. time to go down. Yes. There's Lamp Festival down there as well. Um, what kind of... Is there a Suwon... You're the food person here, so is there a Suwon specialty... Sure. Um, you should taste galbi. Galbi, um, you know, uh, not the stew type, but uh-huh. it's a, like a grill type. So it's marinated, and also, uh, and then you grill it on the on the charcoal grill. So difference of suwon galbi than other galbi is um, in other places they use soy sauce to season it, but in suwon they use just use the salt. So you can uh, taste the the flavor of meat in a more more in pure a pure way. way. Exactly. I have to say, sometimes the the yangnyeom kalbi that you get comes a little bit over seasoned for my right. personal taste. It's sort right. of, it's got that. It's so penetrated by that soy sauce taste that it's almost a little bit salty and overbearing. Do you like plain kalbi or yangnyeom jam? Uh, I will take galbi in whatever form it comes. <laughs> whatever form it shows up, <laughs> I'm right? quite happy to to eat any form of of galbi. Um, but I don't think I've ever had this this suwon. Gabby, and I used to live not far down the road from Suwon, but I've, I've never heard of this, so this is definitely something I need to check out. Yeah, you know, this reminds me, while we're on sort of a food tangent, I was just down in Charasom, as I mentioned, and they every year they pick an official makgeolli, right? And this year they have a chestnut makgeolli, and it tastes so, it, it's almost like chocolatey. It tastes like a, a chocolate flavor, almost like... I don't know, cocoa makgeolli or something like that. It's, it's wonderful. It's pretty rich. The a little rich, a little sweet, too. Yeah. I don't know. Are, are either of you guys makgeolli people? I oh, love yeah. makgeolli. Yeah. 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 I tend to. We both are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and there's a lot of uh, regional variation and sort of artisanal uh, kind of flair that goes into these little. They're also big down there in um, sort of Gapyeong area, right? Mm-hmm. Chadasom, uh, with pines, like chat makgeolli they have. Uh, so, you know, they have all kinds of stuff with pine nuts the the shijang down there the traditional market has these guys and they've just got buckets full of pine cones 
And you're like, what's the point of this? Um, he has to, by hand, open up the pine cone and take out these pine nuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, because otherwise, if you did it by machine, you could destroy the, the pine cone and the pine nuts. I love traditional markets. We were just talking about the Yangyong, what is it, Yangyongsi mm-hmm. herb market. But uh, traditional markets for anything are so cool, especially out in the countryside. Uh, you can get unbelievable bargains on things. I bought this terrifying uh, cleaver, which is basically a chunk of slate rock hewn to a, a razor sharp point, and uh, brought that back with me wow. <laughs> to cook with. To cook with, you know. Um, <laughs> but it is terrifying to hold. It's incredibly heavy. So Suwon, do we have anything more to say about that? If you want to learn more about this uh, Hwasong Culture Festival, where do you go? Uh, you can visit their website www.swcf.or.kr swcf.or.kr and then lastly to wind up today we've got uh, something I'm looking forward to in a big way uh, this Andong Mask Dance Festival when does that start up? Uh, it actually started uh, it's already started Started, uh, and then it will continue until October 9th at Andong City. Okay. So the mask dance is called Taichum in Korean, and uh, there will be a festival. So a variety of mask dance performances, not only by Korean artists, but also uh, all the artists joined from other countries like China, Japan, Philippines, Russia, France. It will be interesting comparison. Uh, between the mask dance cultures between countries. And also there will be an art uh, exhibition of the masks. So that will be also interesting point of view. And then you can also learn how to uh, do the mask dance as well. So sounds interesting. It really does. Um, and this is, uh, masks are so sort of fundamental. It's um, kind of like a bridge to a, a more primitive age. I mean, all of these cultures have mask rituals. When we look at mask dance, talchum in Korea, where is that coming from? What's the what's the spirit of a, of a mask dance? Is it to sort of uh, ensure a good harvest or is it to chase away spirits? I mean, what, why would people have engaged in that in, in days gone by? So mask dance, it's a uh basically started in the market so in the marketplace marketplace in the like a central plaza market is basically peop- where people get together and then uh it was kind of a entertainment uh between people among people and um the way the reason they put the mask on is like uh, the contents was somehow like you know somehow uh, controversy or it could be a little bit uh, judgmental about the, what's going on in the country, about the rules. So it can parties. be a little bit satirical, exactly. what the mask is. So, I mean, like, to you can, you can, hide yeah. the actors uh, and actresses. Are the, the masks, are they, are they designed to sort of mock, like, the nobility and the ruling classes? and Exactly, kind of exactly. So making fun of them in sort of... So, like, making fun of them uh, with a mask at the same time protecting who's inside the mask. So, to uh, protect the identity of the crowns. That is so cool. It's like almost a commedia dell'arte kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, cover yourself with the mask. And it's... The, but I'm, the, the appearance of the mask, the content of the mask is not designed to imitate, like, the king or the nobleman. Or is it? Is it? It is. It uh, is. Not only the king, but also the noble... Ah. Noble, noble people. 
So almost like an early form of a gag concert kind exactly. of thing. You could make your mask up to look like whoever the, the ruling politician right. was of the day and uh, pretend to be them and engage in satire with them. And maybe just in the context of your mask dance, uh, your head is not going to roll because yeah. it's all yeah, for hopefully. good entertainment and satire <laughs> and stuff like that. And they don't know who you are because you've got the mask on. In theory, they don't know who you are because you're wearing the mask. That goes back to almost the court jester thing, right? Yeah. I mean, the, in that, that's kind of a European and especially a British thing where uh, the harlequin can stand in the royal court and say things that nobody else can. I suppose the big difference is that, is that a, sort of a court jester was a sanctioned... Um, comedic act which would which would poke fun at uh at sort of the nobility and the ruling classes but but in a way that they knew was allowed because they were ultimately being paid by the king or the lord or whoever sure whoever manner they were at whilst the the mask dancing career seems to be more of like a grassroots underground hidden behind the mask kind of movement that definitely wasn't sanctioned by the ruling class i yeah. don't think so well, yeah, I guess so. And uh, carrying it forward to sort of like Elizabethan theatre and stuff like that, a lot of that involves masks and identity, kind of obfuscation and hiding behind uh, masks of whoever the prominent figure is that you're making fun of, right? Yeah, and that's probably a lot more similar. So so a lot of that sort of Shakespearean drama, those kind of things, there were masks involved and there was definitely mocking the kings or the the prominent politicians in a way that wasn't allowed at the time. Andong Mask Festival. Uh, obviously, anytime the word Andong is uttered kind of in a Pavlovian way, I think of Andong Soju, which is, uh, I think you can run a jet off of that. It is, uh, or you can fill it your lighter with it. It's incredibly strong soju. Any other food related stuff down there, Rachel, in Andong area? Yeah, you may have heard like Andong Jimdak. Yeah. Or like Andong Kodungo. Kodungo is like a salted sardine. Yeah. And uh, andong chesapap. Uh, chesapap is like a kind of a, a worship food uh, from the noble uh, people in the ancient uh, time. Very interesting. So uh, salty stuff. I think it sounds, you, right. you, you ought to have a tolerance for salt if you go down there. Uh, don't uh, wash it down with too much andong soju <laughs> because you do want to make it back. Guys, uh, that's a very nice, comprehensive look at some of the stuff that's going to be happening this autumn. Believe me, the weather will get better. Today is just kind of uh, an exception. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. That's going to bring today's edition of Koreascape to a close. We are produced by Oo Jang Sop with associate production by Jamie Lee and writing by Nikki Kim. I'm Kurt Asian. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter. The handle is Koreascape. We're back with Nikki tomorrow and Generation Now. And coming up next, if you're in Seoul or surrounding areas, This, That and Amy is up. Since we finished by talking about the Andong Mast Festival and the Talchum, let's hear a little bit of that from Hwaljuro Talchum.